Hi, this is Paula. And I'm Joseph, and you're listening to Life Lived Better. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Life Lived Better. Paula, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we are in a new semester at school, and it's always exciting. It's always lo- lots of energy going on, new folks on campus, and old folks coming back, learning where the new classes they're taking are and getting to know my new students. So it's been exciting for me. How about you? Just busy over here, just juggling two careers and trying to kind of keep my sanity about me. <laughs> but it's, it's been good. It. <laughs> it's been good overall and no complaints. Getting ready for our trip coming up in February. So that's kind of exciting. I know it seems like when you mentioned it to me, it was so far away and now it's just mm-hmm. around the corner. I know it's not seriously. You mentioned, I think, in the last episode how uh, 2023 went so quickly and 24 is off to the same start. It definitely is. It's going to be a fast one. Well, at least while you're gone, our listeners can take heart that we've recorded some episodes ahead and we also have some really good well listened to episodes that we'll throw in as a as a bonus as well yeah and today we're doing one of our favorites questions for counselors yes with my whole new group of students we have some new questions from them as well as the questions that we get when people just send us questions directly at info at lifelivebetter.net well should we get right into them absolutely you get to decide today who goes first since i decided last round Okay, I'll I'll ask you the first one. How about that? So question number one, I would like some advice on how to cope with people who frequently use abusive language towards me. I wouldn't tolerate that very well. Um, (laughs) You know, boundaries is my first is the first thing that comes to me. I don't allow people to stay in my life who use abusive language uh, toward me. If if I could ask this person some questions, I would ask them like, is this person someone where they are in a position where you can't get away from them? Like, for instance, are you under 18 and live with your parents? Or if you're over 18, you know, do you, are you in a position where you have to live with this person? Is it somebody at work where you have to work with them? If you have any option, if this is an optional person in your life, I would not stay around them. I would not continue to communicate with them. And that's completely up to you, whether you set that boundary or not. We don't have to allow people to treat us just any old way. We Mm -hmm. have the right to say, I'm sorry, that's that's abusive and I'm not going to tolerate that. If it's in a professional position where you have to work with this person and there's not a way to get out of that because you don't have control over whether they leave or whether you whether you feel like you have control over you leaving. I would uh, you know, seek supervision if you have tried to talk to that person or if they're abusive and you feel like you aren't in danger if you talk to them directly, you know, possibly mm-hmm. get a supervisor involved in that. And then yeah. if you're in a living situation where you feel stuck, then healthy boundaries around it and healthy ways to protect yourself and always have other supportive people in your life. I think sometimes when we're in situations where people or it's dysfunctional and people are treating us poorly, we don't have anybody else, you know, maybe in our ear telling us that that's unhealthy or we don't have any other models of what unhealthy looks like. So we start feeling like that's normal. 
Mm -hmm. just a support system outside of that situation. That is a hard question, honestly. Um, and, And I feel like it could probably take an episode to address how you can set some boundaries and get out of that situation. What do you think about that? I think a lot of what you said, I mean, as far as like what type of relationship it is would definitely play in how you respond to it. So I've had a client share in the past that he, you know, lived at home with his parents and that his parents were very kind of verbally abusive to him. And the solution in that situation was that he needed to not live there. He was old enough to live on his own and old enough to take care of himself. But he was kind of in between college semesters and had taken a little bit of time off. And we talked a lot about boundaries. We talked a lot about, you know, limiting interaction with the family Um, So I think in any situation, like you said, limiting your interaction where possible, trying to make sure that you're keeping yourself safe. If it's a situation, like you said, with an employer where you can call someone else in, you can have a a mediator like, like human resources, like that's a good option. But I think a lot of people are kind of I don't know, nervous or scared to go to a supervisor in in situations like that because you fear like the repercussions of what, you know, what could happen as a result. And that's a hard situation to be in, especially when you know that it's abusive. All right. Well, uh, uh, for your first question here, and this is a kind of a closed question, but I think we can kind of expound on it. Uh, Does counseling benefit people who are resistant to treatment or is it something you have to believe in for it to work? Interesting question. I think, in my opinion, people that are resistant oftentimes are not going to be, it's not going to be beneficial. But what I can tell you is that I've had clients over the years that have come in and literally told me when they walked in the door, like, my wife wants me to be here. I don't know anything about counseling. I don't get it. I don't see how it could be useful. And I've done really good work with those individuals. Like sometimes with people that are resistant, you end up getting the biggest, you know, reward and return on because they don't fully understand it. They don't fully get it until they start practicing it. And, you know, once you, if if you take the opportunity to get into counseling, you mesh with the right person. I think that you can do a lot of good work. And I think that the right counselor can help you kind of see the benefits of therapy. Mm-hmm. But um, if you continue to be resistant, I mean, to me, that's a relationship that probably should be terminated, you know, either by the client or by the counselor, because if you don't feel like you're being productive or if you don't feel like it's, you know, something that's benefiting the client, then really it's not something that you should continue, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Completely. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I mean, a, there has to be a problem that exists somewhere for you to end up in counseling. You know, we don't right. just call a counselor. For no reason. There's something prompting it. And if we can at least start at that place, I think a lot of time people who are resistant to counseling, it's usually because it's recommended by someone else. So it wasn't their idea. And then also if they don't really understand what counseling is, Mm -hmm. you know, many times I have found counseling has been more about educating, you know, than it is what I think people think counseling is, you know, like you learn something new, you learn a new skill and your counselor kind of helps you just direct that. Number one, discover what the main problem is that needs rectifying. And then two, what can you do for that problem? So I agree with you that when people have come to me, because I worked many years and uh, I've, I've received referrals from the the criminal justice system Mm -hmm. and people many times 
weren't electing to come on their own. So people were frequently resistant to that. I had great relationships with most of them because I didn't, I didn't treat them as if they had no choices. Like maybe they felt like they didn't when they were sent there. Right. Because someone has to agree to come to counseling once they reach you, you know, that's part of the information we have to share with them is you don't have to come here. I can't force you into this. This is up to right. you. Even if somebody else is telling you, you should, I'm not going to make you. And I think right. that gives people some ownership of it. Yeah, so. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I've had so many people working with criminal justice over the years that have come in and said that they, you know, have thought about getting into counseling, but never really pursued it. And so it ends up being a really good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we end up doing some really good work together. So okay. it's even when someone is resistant, that can change. And hopefully it does change. Um, I always say the it doesn't really matter how you got here as long as you got here. You know, so if something's yeah. going on and you need some support, like just reach out, get the support. Mm -hmm. Well, even some people willing become resistant at some point. That's just a part of the change process. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So our next question, when a person decides not to leave an emotionally challenging or dangerous environment, what steps can they take to protect their mental health and better understand their complicated relationship with someone who helped them create that environment? The big question. That is a big question. And it's a difficult situation because, uh, you know, my gut response is you don't need to or have to stay in that situation. Again, you know, if someone was asking me that in person, I would ask a lot of other questions like, who is this? I mean, do what's the reason you feel like you have to stay? Because mm -hmm. I, I think we have more choice than we realize. But when we're in those situations, it can feel overwhelming that we don't have any any choice in that scenario, you know, mm -hmm. but if you're and, and I would also like to address the part of that they helped you create that situation. Does that mean you believe you have some responsibility in them being abusive to you? you know? Yeah, because I, I don't think even if we do things that are inappropriate, that anyone ever has the right to abuse us. Just my opinion there. But if you are going to stay in a controlling, abusive type of situation. First, usually people who are abusive to you create a situation where you're isolated. And if you can kind of counteract that in some way, if you can keep from being isolated, if you have, if you have a job or if you're in school or if you have any ability to get around other people, to, that, that can help you stay sane, that can help you feel like you have other choices, other options, you have other people in your life. Just if you can keep from letting them limit your contact with other people, that's fantastic. Um, I would also say go back to our episode on gaslighting and read that, you know, to do what you can to counteract their gaslighting. They are going to make you feel crazy, quote unquote. And if that's going on, we have a lot of tips and tools in that episode on how to kind of uh, keep from giving in to a person who gaslights. And then just any anything you can do is to keep someone from to, they are going to they're going to criticize you. They're going to blame you. They're going to do all of those things that happens in abusive relationships. If you can find some kind of tactic to not let that into your personal self-esteem. You know, if you mm -hmm. can try to just keep 
keep somehow believing in you. And I know it's hard when you're in a situation where you're surrounded by abuse. And then I have one other thought before I kind of wrap it up. One is if you are in a situation where they have, uh, they've taken control of all the finances, if you, you know, that's kind of one of the hallmarks, I guess, of abusive relationships where the person that's abusing tries to deprive the victim of any means to money, transportation, a way out. If you Mm -hmm. have any ability in a safe way to save up some money, maybe somebody, you know, can keep the money for you. There's just kind of, you know, if you're having to turn over your paychecks, if you're not able to access it, if you can find any way to kind of keep getting a little money for yourself or something, I think that is helpful because money does help, you know, get you out. Mm -hmm. But then finally to begin to create a plan to leave, that's even if it's going to be a year from now, just start trying to come up with how you're going to do that safely. And again, if any of that stuff you've done is in writing or is physically present somewhere, you have to put it in a space where that person cannot get access to it because when they do, or if they do, it will then put you in a a more difficult situation. That's a hard question. It sounds like we've only, we're only three questions in and we're already, those are pretty deep questions. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, my take on this one, I mean, to me, there's a difference between emotionally challenging. That's something that maybe you could try to work through. But when you talk about dangerous environment, and that to me is something that you need to absolutely start making a plan to exit. I did everything you said. Like it's it's something where you have to really kind of look at the situation, look at, you know, who who the relationship is with. I immediately think of like an abusive partner type relationship when I read the question. And so I think a lot of times we feel like there aren't any options. And especially if you've been in a relationship for a long time, you kind of become conditioned to the abuse. And so understanding that that's not normal and that's not something that you should have to deal with or have to have in your life. And if it's something where, again, if it's a dangerous situation, then you have to make a plan. And I think making the plan gives you a sense of freedom and something to kind of work towards. It's kind of some goals in order to, you know, know that you're not just stuck in it, that you're actually taking steps to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes just setting down and coming up with, you know, an idea of what you think you can do in order to start separating yourself can be very empowering. Mm -hmm. I agree. Just the planning of that can be. All right. So for your next question here, I'm a college student and I'm wondering how I know if the career path that I've chosen for me is the right one. We're just getting too many big questions today. (laughs) Another tough one. I mean, I would think that as you're going along and getting closer to like the classes that are, if you're a counselor, getting into practicum or getting into, you know, your psychology classes and things like that, I would I would hope that you would have a sense if it's something. I mean, I, I think everybody probably has a sense of feeling overwhelmed when you're going through the process. So I think that's a little normal. But if you just have kind of that nagging feeling that this is just, you know, maybe not the right field for me, then I would say, you know, start exploring your other options, meet with an advisor, um, take one of the uh, placement tests to kind of see what, you know, what it comes back with what you would be good at based on your personality and the way you answer that. And then just basically 
look at what your options are. Usually like core classes, you know, transfer. So if you decide to change your major, you know, that's something that you can do without, I think, a lot of, without losing a lot of credit, right? You would probably know more about that than, than, than I, but really listening to your gut, I think is my best advice. If you feel like you have a constant feeling that this may not be for me or a constant dread, or you're really not looking forward to your classes, like all those are signs and symptoms that maybe something is not right. So listen to that. Completely. I think we don't listen to our gut enough. I always go back to like, what made you decide that's what you wanted to do? You know, mm-hmm. like we all kind of have a personal story about why we got into the field we're in and you know, what prompted you. Is it because you wanted to, it was something that excited you or is it that you were pushed in that direction? And yeah, you know, like in school, you have electives that you can take. So you can take those in a lot of different areas. Take a few that just sound interesting to you to see if that area is more interesting than another. And mm-hmm. in a lot of um in a lot of fields, you have the opportunity to volunteer or do internships, you know, I mean, do that a couple of summers or something just to see, because truly, I mean, you know, you know, like for me, for instance, I always knew I wanted to do counseling, but I thought in the beginning, I wanted to do counseling with youth. And one of my first degrees was in youth counseling. And as soon as I actually had work, I did work in that particular field. I was like, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> you know, it just it just wasn't. And and it would have been sad if I would have just kind of hung my hat on that being the rest of my life. And of course, I don't know about every field besides count the counseling field. But I know in the counseling field, there are so many different jobs you can do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like one, you can try a different one. You know, if you don't like working with that particular population, you can try another population. So I think sometimes before we get into the work we do, we don't realize how broad it really is. And so I would start asking people who work in the jobs that you're going to go into, ask them questions about it. I, I think so many of our the courses in school give you an opportunity where you have to like interview someone or uh, you know contact an organization and stuff. Just use the fact that you're a student uh, as an mm-hmm. opportunity to start contacting people who work in the field, employers and stuff, and asking, "Can I talk with a person that does such and such job just for a project I'm working on for school?" And ask them three or four questions. I think. Uh, that'll help maybe even get a mentor to start working with and give you feedback. I think there are people available out there that will help you kind of um, answer some of those questions before you get into your profession. Yeah, I agree with that. That's great, great advice. So our next question, what are some tips to avoid emotionally manipulating someone? I fear that I accidentally do this to people. Well, um, (laughs) Emotional manipulation is trying to take power in the relationship to be in control of the relationship. And if you already feel like you do that, you probably do that. And, you know, there's no reason we would think we do if we don't. So what are you doing to know that you do that? That's kind of red flag one. Like, you know, I need to stop doing that. I would also step back and look at what it's doing to your relationships. How is it damaging them? And are you talking about just romantic relationships or do you mean all your interactions? You feel like you need to be in control and, and kind of be the winner. And if that's the, the uh, you know, if that's, if you see that's going on, you know, when we emit, manipulate, you know, that that's, that's the tool to get what we want. 
I would ask myself questions like, what's the reason I feel like I have to get my way all the time? What would happen if I didn't get in my way this time and start small? People are not going to want to be in a relationship with somebody who always wants to win and someone who always wants their way. And emotional abuse can turn into much greater abuse if it continues. You know, there's a lot of studies that say emotional abuse is like a precursor to physical violence in intimate relationships. It can damage the well-being of everyone in relationship with you. It can cause people not want to be in relationship with you. So I would just ask myself a lot of questions. Why do I want an unequal relationships? Why do I want to be in unhealthy relationships? Why do I need to abuse this power? What's going on with me to do this stuff? And what, you know, what are all the, where are all the flaws in me and my communication and my emotional makeup that I have a tendency to want to do that. I'd say kudos to you that you actually are aware of it. That's the mm. first step to getting it changed. That, these are some big questions today, Joseph. What do you think about that? They are. I agree with you. I think, you know, the fact that you're able to recognize that it's happening to me means that you can start taking steps to change it and maybe connecting the dots as to where that came from. If it's something you grew up around, you know, when there's addiction in the family, it's not uncommon for there to be a lot of manipulation and for that to be kind of something that gets learned along the way. So figuring out where it comes from, I think is important. Figuring out where it's showing up in your relationship, why it's showing up in your relationship. I guess the particular issues or is it all the issues, everything, and then just kind of working towards educating yourself to make some changes in those areas, listening to podcasts researching, finding books, you know, talking to professionals, all of those things will help you. But uh, again, I think I, I agree with you, like the insight of knowing that you're doing it is kind of the most important. And now it's just a matter of how do I, how do I begin to change that? Start small, start with little, little changes. Those are more manageable than major changes. Maybe clue your partner into the changes that you're trying to make. So they, you know, can call you on it if they see it happening or feel it happening. This next and last question, we actually had several people ask some version of this question. So um, how, do you, how do counselors deal with the difficult or traumatic things that they hear from clients just as part of their daily work? How, how do you take care of yourself? Definitely something that happens and something that I think the longer you're in the field, probably the better you get at kind of compartmentalizing these things. I know when I first began counseling, I heard stories and I heard situations that I really became invested in and wanted to, you know, be part of the solution and fix it for people. And I found that I was more concerned sometimes than the actual individual was. Yeah. And so that was something I had to kind of inventory and change quickly because you can't be more invested in a situation than, you know, the person that you're working with. Mm -hmm. But figuring out how to take care of yourself, practicing self-care, doing the things like I have a counselor that I sometimes process things that, you know, have come up with clients and having, you know, you to bounce the ideas off of just having people that you can kind of lean on for support um, and, and, you know, like staffing situations, obviously you want to keep everybody's privacy and anonymity, but you know, you can, you can talk in general terms in order to kind of process because there is that secondary trauma that sometimes can happen where, yeah. You know, hearing an event is something that can actually traumatize you. So it's important that you take steps to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And 
to me, that looks like that self-care that we talk about all the time, seeking professional help in some situations, having a good support system in place, and really just having, you know, the ability to kind of um, almost set boundaries with yourself in regards to how much you're willing to invest time-wise, energy-wise, because it is difficult. It is difficult to kind of shut that off. I have worked with clients who have really, you know, shared difficult, difficult things with me. And I've taken that home and found myself thinking about it or laying in bed at night thinking about, you know, what should the advice, what should the feedback be, what, you know, and I do get invested in people. And so, you know, that is something that I, I think with time you learn, you get better at in the beginning. I think you need to expect it to expect to be traumatized sometimes by what you hear, but just learning to implement those support systems where you can, I think is the best Thing that you can do. I hope that answers that question. I think that's really good. I spent last week I, during my um, the first week of classes, uh, I talked so much about this third hand trauma and how you've got to take care of yourself and you must take care of yourself and you can't give in to it because then you won't be and almost to the point where I thought, I hope I'm not talking people out of wanting to do this work. But mm -hmm. whenever you first start, it is, I think, kind of shocking that you hear because we know the worst things that have happened in our life but then we start hearing things that we never could even fathom occurring mm -hmm. and you know you and I especially we're in addiction counseling people use substances because of severe pain a lot of times and trauma so there had to be something that motivated people to start using substances that they mm -hmm. wanted to numb and some of those things are tough tough to hear but I do agree in the beginning took me a couple of years to kind of not bring it home and to find a place for it, to compartmentalize it, to get good at seeking supervision and just collaboration with, with other professionals without, mm -hmm. you know, violating anonymity and stuff and confidentiality, but finding a place to put those things to realize if I don't, I'm not going to be able to give any help to anyone because I'll be burnt and broken. And taking care of myself, you know, first before anything else, I have to take care of myself so I can take care of other people. And are all those things check marked off? And then the thing I cautioned my students about last week is once you learn how to compartmentalize and hear and be present for that information without it permeating you and affecting you, then don't do that in your personal relationships, mm. you know, because you then have, you have to be there in your personal relationships and be right there with people. And you can't like bring those skills over to your personal relationships or it can hurt it. Cause you know, when my husband says something to me, that's sad or, or painful, I don't want to just say, okay. And how do you feel about that? You know, I want to be mm -hmm. there with him and that, and it is a balancing act. And I do believe over time with a lot of supervision and practice and, and good, healthy people around you, you'll learn how to do it. Yeah. And, and that's such a big part of the training that goes into, you know, becoming a therapist and the practicum and the supervision, like that's all part of, you know, kind of working through that, that very issue, I think. Mm -hmm. And we, I think we always think, oh, we have so much. Uh, internship to do uh, all these hours, but thank mm -hmm. goodness we have all that time to get acclimated to all the stuff that happens in this field that's difficult yeah. to deal with. And thank goodness there's somebody we're required to meet with to to talk that through. Because when we're finished with that, we aren't required that supervision anymore. Sometimes mm -hmm. it would be nice to have it. 
Yeah, that is, uh, those were a lot of hard questions. They really were, but hopefully, hopefully there was some good advice and um, the questions were answered, I think, well, and we continue to ask you to submit questions and anything that you want to know, we're here to try to tackle. So send us your questions, info at lifelivebetter.net, post it on our socials, slip into our DMs. <laughs> Somebody, please. <laughs> All right. However you want to get them to us, just get them to us. And as always, don't forget that knowledge leads to a life lived better. Thank you for listening to Life Lived Better with Paula and Joseph.